0: Yeah Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one person, front my face on the front page. Only if I had one love, one girl and one crib, one God to show me how to do things his son did. Pure like a cup of virgin blood mixed with 151, one sip will probably make me flip. See my name in the hieroglyphs. It is the week five edition of DFSMVP. Holding cushion alongside the director of DFS at 444.com, TJ Hernandez. TJ, we're back. We're ready to go. And as you know, nobody knows Nas. Not like me. I mean, I don't know much about Nas. (laughs) I know a few of his songs, but that what, what song was that one?
1: Uh, One mic from his 2001 album, Stillmatic. I th- I think I would go out on a limb and say that's my favorite Nas song. I noticed that the, the DFS MVP Spotify playlist was a little light on the Nas. So if you like that intro and all the rest of our intros, be sure to search DFS MVP on Spotify. I call it our uh, our lineup building grind. I always listen to that on Saturday nights when I'm getting ready for, for Sunday morning.
0: What about Cool Moe D? Do you ever have any Cool Moe D? We could get some. I I, I take requests. Yeah. Well, I just the the request I give then is um, <laughs> stranded on death row by Doctor Dre's crew back on the Chronic. It was with right. Bushwick Bill and Rage and Snoop Dogg and others. I think we could handle that. Yep. Again, you can make fun of me for my age all you want. I'm not that much older than you, TJ. I just act like it. Anyways, <laughs> we got our week five plays and GPP leverage scores. So we'll give you our GPP plays, our cash plays, and We're going to explain what the heck this leverage score thing is. Mm Because, TJ, I guess you're getting a lot of questions. And ever since I've been using it, it really helps. It helps you with your GPP pool selection. It's terrific. Also want to remind everybody, DFS MVP promo of 25% off continues. Go to 444.com. When you sign up. Look for the promo code, type in DFS MVP, get 25% off. What's going on with the rate and review t-shirt giveaway? From what I understand, the rating and reviewing is just going bananas. Yeah, that's a nice way to to get a free shirt. Before I get to that, uh, in
1: addition to the promo code, we just dropped our DFS pricing to $79. So you can get an additional 25% off that. That's only for podcast subscribers. the biggest discount we have. Uh, so make sure you check that out, especially if you're and four in your redraft leagues. Uh, if you like the podcast, you can go on iTunes, you can leave a five star rating and review, and that'll automatically enter you into a drawing to win a free four for four t shirt. Super soft, super comfy. I wear mine all the time. And this week's winner is Chad5770. He called us his go-to DFS podcast among the many podcasts he listens to. So Chad5770. Shoot me a message on Twitter, at TJ Hernandez, and I'll hook you up with the details to get that free T-shirt. And while you guys are on iTunes, don't forget that we now have an iPhone or iPad, whatever platform you're on, an app that helps you set the highest scoring lineup every week and pick the highest scoring free agents for the week from our rest of season rankings. It's free to download. Just search Four for Four or League Sync in the app store. Existing pro and DFF subs get full access to the app's features. Everyone else, you receive a seven-day free trial, and from the app, you can sign up for full access to the
0: website. All right, so let me give a little background as to what happens uh, on this show before the actual show starts. Okay, and for new listeners, what we do, we give uh, core plays at each position for the main slate, and then we have a theory segment, which again is our GPP leverage scores. But normally TJ and I will hit each other up um, as we get closer to the podcast, whether it be via text message, email, or Slack. So there's three or four different ways we get in touch with each other. I'm surprised we don't miss messages a lot more. But we go back and forth and I'll say, hey, TJ, you're digging all these numbers up. I want to know about this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. And then usually, I, well, always, at least these first five weeks, I get a big list of players. And these are the guys that he does. I looked at your list this week. You and I have the same exact, I mean, exact list. Are these the the core plays? I mean, I'm right there with you this week. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe my process is getting better and it's catching up to yours. But just so you know, um, we're on the same side of a lot of guys so far this week. So we got five games with an over-under at 50 or more. Nine teams projected for at least 25 points. So... You said what, 25, 26 is the new 24. You wrote that there. And maybe that's just the way things are going these days.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems like scoring is up. Uh, obviously you always want to go back and, and check that, check the data against those assumptions. Uh, and it is up through uh, the last five seasons. The average NFL game is right around 45 points uh, this year. So far, obviously we're only through four weeks, but we uh, Averaging about forty-eight and a half points per game, which means that in the past, when we're looking at implied totals, when you're looking for that above-average total, that twenty-four-point total, uh, that that was about the cutoff. If we look at the average uh, average score uh, per game, or or above average, and now with that that higher implied point total, uh, really, at least for now we're looking for that 25 or 26-point threshold. So it's just uh, it's a slight adjustment because if you've been playing DFS for a long time, if you've been looking at Vegas lines as a primer to your research for a long time, kind of that 24, half point mark, was the, that was like the, the low for the higher echelon plays. Uh, that's moving up, it seems like.
0: Well, the, so far, the overs are games are going over by 2.4 points mm-hmm. per game. This is ridiculous. The the off. This is what I wanted. We could complain about the bad calls and the quarterback hits and roughing the passer and everything, but this is what I want to see. I mean, that Falcons Bengals game. Are you kidding me? I don't know how much you saw of it. It was amazing. It's extraordinarily entertaining, and this is what I want to see too. So, and I th- I think it just makes it more fun for
1: DFS because what we've seen in the past is often you'll have i don't know basically the saints and and the packers maybe the the patriots those are the only teams projected for 27 or 28 points and then you have all these other teams projected for 25 or less uh now we have a a lot of teams that are capable and have been scoring as much if not more than what we think of as the elite offenses so it gives us a lot more options uh In our DFS player pool, it it really makes you look at everything, and then you see plays like Mitch Trubisky taking down tournaments last week. Uh, So that makes it fun. Uh, You can really look around the league and not just zero in on one or two offenses.
0: All right, so let's start with a game with a, a game total of under 50. Mm-hmm. it's uh, open at 48 and a half. It's sitting at forty eight and a half. Jacksonville at Kansas city, which I yeah. think if this game was played in week five of last year, the over under probably would have been 35 <laughs> because it was Blake Bortles versus Alex Smith and uh, Blake Bortles. People still didn't realize that Blake Bortles once in a while put up a big game, but you and I both love this guy this week. Bortles 5,500 on DK 7,000 on FanDuel. You save money at the quarterback position. Kansas city gets torched. I mean, this is, uh, Listen, you might be hesitant to play Blake Bortles, Mm -hmm. but go look at the game logs. The guy does produce, especially when Fournette is out. I I think we might have already set a record
1: for number of times we've mentioned Blake Bortles in a season. Uh, I think (laughs) we're we're on (laughs) three or four already. Yeah, but... uh... Especially this week, I, I think it's it's probably a pretty good idea to to pay down at the quarterback because we have uh, so many high price guys at the other positions dominating the value reports. It's it's tempting to go after those high price quarterbacks because you, it does feel like you can get all of those points in, in one fell swoop. But it at least in cash games, it really does lower your floor to not get the the consistent uh, value and volume of those positions like the running backs and wide receivers quarterback scoring is so flat that you're not really losing much going from a a top tier quarterback to a Bortles and the price savings just so big compared to the other guys especially in the spot Kansas City is just a defense to attack right now they rank 30th in 4 for 4 schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks but they are bottom 10 in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to every position so those offenses are just going to Eat against the Chiefs, and then it's it's a relatively small sample. We have five games in the last two seasons where Bortles has been completely without Fournette. Obviously, he's had a couple partial games without Fournette, but in the, those five complete games without Fournette, Bortles is averaging six more. Points per game than he is with him. Uh, His attempts are pretty much the same. Uh, His yardage is up, so it's just been a more efficient passing game without Fournette. I think probably that has something to do uh, with with the Tom Coughlin with a high draft pick, probably forcing Fournette the ball a little more than they have to. Uh, Bortles has just been able to seemingly get in a flow a little bit more, and then additionally without Fournette there's some more rushing yardage to to go around and that benefits Blake Bortles he's third in rushing yards among quarterbacks this year and that obviously is is going to save you in terms of a a floor if he doesn't go nuts like we want him to through the passing game we know he can can get you close to like a, a
0: touchdown's worth a passing touchdowns worth of fantasy points with his legs you think he'll be gpp viable too, given that um, just the name recognition of Blake Bortles makes some people cringe even though he's a great play what's going to happen this week
1: is I think that uh, we're, we're not going to see too many really high owned quarterbacks because we have so many guys bunched up at the top Roethlisberger uh, Matt Ryan Aaron Rodgers they're all priced pretty close, and they're all in really good spots. Uh, Throw Jared Goff in there too. So they're kind of going to cannibalize each other's ownership, and that's going to trickle down to to everybody. Uh, So no one's going to be that high owned. So even though Kansas City is a great defense to target, I think if you have Bortles in 15% of your lineups, you'll probably be doubling up the field in terms of ownership percentage.
0: All right, let's move on to the next guy here, Ben Roethlisberger at home. Ben mm-hmm. Roethlisberger against a defense that gets torched time and time and time again. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger with a frustrated Antonio Brown, just waiting to break out. Juju Smith schusters a bad man. Ben Roethlisberger, if you're going to pay up a quarterback, this is the week to do it. I wanted to specifically mention
1: Big Ben because he's he's sixty nine hundred on DraftKings, eighty four hundred dollars on FanDuel, and the Steelers are facing the Falcons in the game with by far the highest point total of the week. I think it's the highest of the year, fifty eight points, and the Steelers are favored by three. So obviously that gives them a, a higher implied point total. Uh, I I, th- I know that the the home and away splits are are. Uh, very common for anybody that's been following the the Steelers and football for the past couple of years. Steelers just for whatever reason play exponentially better at home. And even though Roethlisberger is more expensive than Matt Ryan on both sites, he projects as the better value according to four for four on both sites, and he's the top overall value uh, on FanDuel. But if we just look at this from a, a game flow and from a, a matchup perspective. Both of these offenses rank in the top 10 in passing rate and neutral game script. Both defenses rank in the bottom seven in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So even though Ben Roethlisberger is a slightly better value, I think the way that you can can manage these two quarterbacks if you choose to pay up for quarterback in cash games is you can look at What are you doing elsewhere? Uh, So are you going to have a lot of exposure to Antonio, to Julio, uh, to James Conner, to another offensive player, maybe Juju? And then just gauge your... Uh, your risk aversion are are you looking for the highest floor possible and you you might not want three players from the same offense in a cash game lineup then go with a quarterback on the opposite team uh, if, if you're looking for that upside maybe you're playing all head to heads then you might be more prone to stack one of these quarterbacks with whatever skill position player you prefer from these offenses so uh, it, it's it's a little bit splitting hairs here and i I think probably these two quarterbacks will will not only be Be the most popular, but when people start building on, this will be the most obvious best plays. Uh, But it's definitely worth discussing how you should manage them because there there is a level of skill to managing that risk, and I think it's something that often goes very overlooked when people look at these
0: players in a vacuum. All right, speaking of overlooked, I think Matt Stafford is a guy that's going to be overlooked, and you're going to give your reasons why Matt Stafford's a good cash play this week just looking at Matt Stafford's recent history against the Packers, the guy's averaging 354 yards and two and a half touchdowns per game over his last four against green Bay. So this is a, this is an opponent that he's familiar with. This is an opponent that he has had success against and a lot of success against. So that's just the history there. What makes Stafford a good play this week at 5,700 on DK 7.6 K on FanDuel. So there's a few things that work here, especially on DraftKings, where Stafford is is basically the same
1: price as Blake Bortles. Uh, we'll get into our picks at the other positions, but kind of for the same reasoning I talked about with with Roethlisberger and Matt Ryan. If you don't want to go too heavy on an offense at, at uh, in your cash game lineups, Stafford is almost a perfect price pivot off of Blake Bortles on DraftKings. His price is a little more infl- inflated on Fandle. He's a little bit closer to uh, to like the Jared Goff, and then he's $600 more than Blake Bortles, so a little bit of a no-man's land there, but uh, Detroit, there nothing's changed. Uh, people like Carrion Johnson, and he has been playing well. He has the the 100-yard game, which was uh, impossible to get in a Detroit uniform, but Detroit's still top five in neutral passing rate. Right? So if the game's within a single score, they're throwing as much as any other team in the league. And then we talked about these these big uh, explosion offensive games. We've, we've seen it very often with Detroit and Green Bay. High correlation play here between these two offenses fifty one point over under the spreads only one point so it's it's essentially a pick 'em especially when you consider that it's a divisional matchup and then when we look at at Green Bay's numbers against quarterbacks and against the pass so far this year they they look pretty good, but they haven't really had to face any decent passing game except for the vikings and then when they did. They gave up four twenty-five and four, granted an overtime, but still that's that's a really big number. Trubisky week one, uh he obviously wasn't the Trubisky we saw last week. Alex Smith, I don't know what Jay Grun's doing with him in Washington. And obviously Josh Allen last week. That Buffalo offense is the worst in the league. So Green Bay hasn't really been tested, and I think they're really gonna get pushed this week by Detroit.
0: All right, so there you go, uh at the quarterback position with Bortles, Big Ben, and Stafford as we move on to the running back position. You're going to notice there's going to be some some Jaguars on here. And if you're into mm-hmm. Onslaughts, you can, <laughs> that was our T-shirt, the Onslaught T-shirt the that Onslaught. never got made. I mean, the Jaguars are shaping up. Everybody's going to be on the – well, maybe people won't be on the Chiefs because they're facing the Jaguars, but in a potential shootout, uh, TJ Yeldon leads the way here at running back. 5.6K on DK. And a very affordable $6,500 on FanDuel for a guy that is going to get the start for Leonard Fournette. He has been a running back one season long. He's been a running back one. I mean, he's just had the opportunity. He's put up some nice games. And um, he's also disappointed when he's had a chance to carry the load. But again, this seems like a wonderful week for TJ Yeldon's floor.
1: Again, looking at that Kansas City defense, I said they're bottom ten against every position. They rank thirtieth in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to uh, running backs. Twenty-one touches last week in relief of Fournette. I know it was it was he went out halfway through the first, so it was pretty much the whole game. But still, uh, getting those twenty-one touches when he wasn't even expected to start, I think, is very noteworthy. And there are some affordable options at running back, but none that offer the floor anywhere close to yeldon this week it, it looks like joe mixon is going to be back so that's going to eliminate that giovanni bernard value that we are hoping for going into this week all the other cheap backs you you can make an argument where they have a decent floor but you can also paint a very clear picture where any one price below say seven thousand, just is a huge risk in a cash game so we'll get to some of, of the other guys shortly but if you need price saving somewhere and TJ Yeldon, to me, right now is, as injury stand is the most obvious price saving option at least at the skill positions.
0: Well, let's uh, actually let's go to the other price saving option before we get mm-hmm. to the two big guns and that would be Aaron Jones of Green Bay. Um, he is in, and he is we've said this since the beginning of last year. he's the most talented back in the Green Bay backfield. Yeah. and last week he played 29 steps. Jamal Williams played 28 snaps. The The big question is, is Aaron Jones ever going to be out there in a third-down situation where they need uh, to block for Aaron Rodgers because mm-hmm. Jamal Williams kind of has that wrapped up. But he averaged almost six yards per carry last week. He, he broke off a 30-yarder. Aaron Jones, to me, is uh, screaming value. And l- Listen, you can question the floor a little bit, but at 4.3K on DK and 6,100 on FanDuel in a week where uh, a second straight week but the pricing, I think is a little bit tighter than it has been early in the year. Aaron Jones stands out to me. Why do you like him? Pricing is much tighter than it's been. Maybe I think this has to be the the toughest all year, which
1: is which is great for uh, anybody that that's putting in the work. I've I've talked about a lot in the past how when we have three or four obvious values, it it all it does is increase variance. I think this is a week where salaries are tighter increases the skill uh at least in theory and over the long run but uh Aaron Jones is at the very least he's a leverage play off of the Green Bay passing game because the Green Bay passing game is going to be popular this week even if uh Allison and and Randall Cobb end up being out a lot of people are going to be on Aaron Rodgers a lot of people are going to be on on uh the other pass catchers there but I, I, I'm i pretty sure that a, a lot of owners are going to shy away from this timeshare. And you mentioned this, the snap share was pretty much even between Jones and Williams last week. But even with that even snap share, when, when Jones is in, he's touching the ball. When Williams in, is in, he's blocking a lot. And that's very evident by the fact that Jones accounted for 40 uh, percent of the backfield touch share last week, and and that's a pretty significant number considering that Ty Montgomery is getting in the mix too. So we see Ty Montgomery around uh, that 35 percent mark. Williams down in in the 20s, and then Aaron Jones is is getting the leftover, which is that 40 percent. So if if you're going to target a running back in a committee, why not get the guy that's touching the ball the most? And Detroit's allowed the most total yards in the league to opposing running back. So we expect a blowout and, or I'm sorry, a shootout. And if you're going to be looking to differentiate, differentiate your lineup, which I talked about in, in TJ's takes this week on four for four, uh, in the final take, how even in cash games, people are getting so sharp and we're seeing so much overlap in lineups that you, you need to do something to differentiate, uh, at least in a high-scoring game, the the lead running back is is not a horrible spot, especially with how much
0: salary he opens up on DraftKings. Yep, and uh, then we go to the top-shelf options Mm -hmm. here. It'll be an interesting build this week if you want to get both Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon into your lineups, um, to to say the least. And I think there's a viable strategy, and there's a way to do it. You're going to have to go cheap at a couple other positions, but – Let's just say you're only going for one of these guys, Gordon or Gurley. Gordon's at 8.6 on DK. He's 9.4 on DK, uh, or Gurley's 9.4 on DK. And then on FanDuel, Gordon at 8.7 and Gurley at 9.1. So give us a little breakdown here of which one to choose in cash. So if we look at the
1: the matchups – everything looks pretty equal. Both of these uh, teams are favored by at least five. Uh, They both carry a huge portion of their teams, uh, both overall touch share and backfield touch share. Uh, They both account for a huge percentage of their team's total yards. Gordon slightly higher in the yardage department, Gurley slightly higher in the, the running back and team touch department on paper. Gordon has the easier matchup. Oakland's allowed the third most yards on the ground to opposing running backs. Uh, But you talked about, how salaries have been pretty open for the first month of the season, and what those open salaries do, especially at the lower stakes, is it often numbs players to price sensitivity. And the game of DFS is all about value. So now that we have these salaries that are very tight, the difference between eighty seven hundred on Fanduel and ninety one hundred on uh, Fanduel between Gordon and Gurley, that four hundred dollar difference. Whereas that often doesn't matter when salaries are open that can make a very big difference in the overall makeup of your lineup move over to DraftKings; kings the difference is $800 between the two with Gordon being the cheapest. So with that price sensitivity, even though Gurley I probably clearly has has the the higher ceiling just because of how great that offense is. Uh, if we're looking at it from a value perspective, I think I have to give the nod to Gordon because that that small price difference on Fanduel, that big price difference on DraftKings, really does open up a, a lot of things and and raises the overall floor of your lineup. Again, going back to not looking uh, at these things in a vacuum, just looking at the overall makeup of your lineup, you have to give the nod to Gordon in cash games.
0: Yeah, and listen, uh, Gordon has been remarkable this season. I mean, he's right there. He's right there, close to the top with Gurley. But again, if you're going to stick them both in the same lineup, you're really going to have to To you know, we've been able to do it the last couple of weeks, get the top two guys that we wanted, sometimes three guys. It's just going to be so difficult. There's no way um, that you're going to be able to squeeze Antonio Brown in there. And you might have trouble getting Juju Smith-Schuster into your lineups if you go with uh, Gordon and Gurley at the top. I, I think you might be able to do it on FanDuel. Uh, you're, you're
1: really going to have to punt some other positions, but there are, Enough values uh,
0: elsewhere where you might be able to jam them in on DraftKings. It's going to be very, very difficult to do. All right, so let's move on to wide receiver. And speaking of Antonio Brown, what is going on with Antonio Brown? I mean, that's that's a big question right now because it, listen, he's he still should be the number one overall. He has still scored three out of the four games he's played this year, but he's yet to get to a hundred yards. As a matter of fact, he's had uh, here here's his game log 93, nine for 93, nine for 67, six for 50 and five for 62. These are not Antonio Brown numbers. He's scoring, yeah. but he's not, he's getting targeted too. He's got a ton of targets those first two weeks, but the you know, last couple of weeks, nine targets, 11 targets. It's really not anything astronomical. We're just not seeing the same type of numbers that I Antonio Brown. So you wonder if this week in this matchup, this is the week to go with Antonio and spend up in cash. The The difference has been
1: that the Pittsburgh Steelers have always had a very concentrated passing game, at least in the past few years. Uh, but it's been between Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, where they aren't necessarily cannibalizing each other's uh, uh, types of of routes and types of targets, very different targets. Now, all of a sudden Juju Smith Schuster is the Le'Veon Bell in terms of the number two in target share. And and they're still splitting targets at, at a very high rate. They're about 55%, which is the second highest in the league in terms of combined number one and two target share. But Juju is a receiver and Antonio is a receiver, so it's it's not like we had it when it was Le'Veon Bell, where it's it's a lot of these shorter routes. They're running similar routes. They're, Juju's a very good receiver, um, and he's taken away some of that upside from Brown. But with all that being said. Atlanta ranks thirtieth in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing wide receivers. Again, this is uh, this is expected to be a very high-scoring game. If you you can get to Antonio, ninety-one hundred on DraftKings, nine thousand dollars on Fanduel. With the values at the other positions, it's going to most likely cost you foregoing Gurley. But I I think that's okay. And in the same game, we have to think about Julio Jones because you are getting Julio at a discount. And I know a lot of people like. To bash Julio, he's averaging 20 PPR points per game. He's seventh in the league in, in overall fantasy points among wide receivers. He leads the league in target share. Uh, Pittsburgh's allowed the fourth most fantasy points per attempt to opposing quarterbacks. That's obviously going to translate to the pass catchers. And then what really stands out to me this week, Pittsburgh's allowed the second most deep completions. That's passes that travel at least 15 yards downfield. And of all of the receivers or players that have at least 30 targets. Julio has a second highest average depth of target. So when Julio is able to go against a defense that struggles against the deep ball, that's where we really see him have those games like he had against Tampa Bay last year. He doesn't have to rely on those red zone targets. He can see his 15 targets. A lot of them are going to be downfield. He's going to be able to get behind the defense. Uh, and it could be very similar to, to what we saw in week one, where he's just running wherever he wants and catching as many balls as he wants. And I, I, I think it's it's finally Julio week this week, even though it really hasn't been that long. You're calling it right now, Julio week. This
0: is Julio week. Yeah, huge Julio week. Oh and man, I th- and it has a lot to do with the with the Pittsburgh's inability to to guard the D ball. I mean, this is you know this is the the question: or do you fade both of them and see if you can go down a little bit in price and and maybe get some, you know, get some big time production out of Juju. And yeah. then there's still people that think that Calvin Ridley's going to score two touchdowns every week. Good luck with that. But uh, that's a great debate right there with Brown and Julio Jones. So, uh you like Calvin Ulu Ridley's a lot. third on
1: his th- Calvin Ridley's third on his own team in in snap share and target share. Isn't so he, people
0: need to people
1: need to calm down with all was that he out because there,
0: like they're 54% of the snaps or something like, like that. That's it's it.
1: absurd. And and I, I, there was people on Twitter. I don't remember I think the poll was Julio versus Calvin Ridley, and people say they'd rather have Calvin Ridley what? right now. That yeah, it's it's absurd. I, it, it was I don't remember who put it out. Um, sorry for for forgetting if you're listening, but it was a it was a poll that had a lot of uh, results, and and the public's just on Calvin Ridley. But even with that being said, Antonio Brown and Julio they're going to be very chalky this week. Uh, and wide receivers, uh at least in tournaments, wide receivers a position where. I, I usually don't eat the chalk, but I
0: think Julio, you I, this is a spot to go with the chalk this week. Well, I'll just say this, that I, I like Calvin Ridley a lot. And the Falcons did too. I mean, they drafted him early, but I'm yeah. going to like him a lot next year and the year after that. Right. I mean, right. a, again, this is going to be a star, but... We're still talking about Julio Jones. Just because he doesn't find the end zone doesn't mean that he's garbage. So good. I mean, let's let's play on that. Maybe some people will still f- fade Julio Jones uh, because he doesn't get in the end zone yet. He still comes up with tons of numbers elsewhere. All right, let's get to the, um, the Rams receiver du jour. Going up against a horrific Seattle secondary you got Cooper Cup listed at 6.3K on DK, 6.7 on FanDuel. Then you got Robert Woods has scored three times the last two mm-hmm. weeks. Cooks found the end zone against Minnesota. But, you know, Cooper Cup is kind of the guy that uh, nobody talked about. And then Minnesota against Minnesota was his coming out party this year, at least. And it seems as though that's the guy you want to target from the passing game because of what, salary? Strictly because of salary. We have the
1: the way the Rams are running this passing offense, they're running out three wide receivers pretty much all the time. Every wide receiver has played 95% of the snaps this year. All three uh, have at least 24% of the team's targets and they're all separated by less than 2% target share. So from a value perspective, it just makes sense to go with the cheapest guy. And right now cup is that guy. Uh, If, if touchdowns, start to override pricing. Uh, we might see that change a little bit because cup is fourth in the league in red zone targets. But for now, uh, the, the price is, is still pretty close. Um, on Fandle, he's noticeably cheaper than, than his teammates. But if you're just looking for value, go with the cheaper guy, uh, this is my new Eric Decker. I, I, I said before the season, he's a, he's, a, he's a dark horse. He's a dark horse to, to lead the league in, in receiving touchdowns, and I got a little bit of flack for it. Uh, but now he's fourth in those red zone targets. This offense is ridiculous, and I think he can make a run at that.
0: All right, so Cooper Cup, the guy there. I love Robert Woods this week, but I mean, again, if you're jamming in the tight pricing, Cooper Cup, it's it's not a bad fallback option to have. I mean, at any given time, Cup could outscore him, too. So, Cooper Cup, the Rams wide receiver you're looking at. Now, let's go to the Jacksonville uh, wide receiver situation. DD Westbrook versus Keelan Cole. And I guess in a GPP, you want to at least consider Dante Moncrief, but for cash game's sake here, DD versus Cole. Cole costs $200 more on FanDuel. He's 4900 And then Didi costs 200 more on DraftKings. He's 5900 So mm-hmm. where are we going here? We have to be
1: very, very careful when it comes to recency bias in DFS. Uh, it's it, it trips up so many people. Evan Silva was talking about it on Twitter last week as, as probably uh, the number one bias that trips up fantasy football players. And last week, Westbrook saw 34% target share, which is Obviously massive, but if we look at the season-long numbers, uh, Westbrook is still at 19%. He does lead, but Cole is at a 16% target share. Just two weeks ago, Cole was the one that saw a 27% target share. We talked about this coming into the season that this is going to be a, a very tough Jacksonville receiving court to pin down because... Uh, they don't have any standout guys, but between Westbrook, Cole and Moncrief, they have three pretty talented guys. So you, I, I think it's very dangerous just to look at last week's number, especially for this team. We talked about the, the chiefs are a defense that you want to target cause they're bad all around there. That in, obviously includes a secondary. Uh, they've allowed the 10th, 10th most yards per attempt to opposing passers, uh, but if we look at how they've done against the slot, they're actually in the top third of the league. I think they rank uh, 20, 22nd or, or 21st in um, in yards per attempt allowed to the slot. So they've actually been decent versus slot receivers, and that is where DD lines up. So it looks like that this matchup is going to favor the outside receivers a little more. Uh, so that gives the nod to Keelan Cole, who even though he has – slightly fewer targets he does have a higher share of air yards and then you mentioned Dante Moncrief he ranks in the top 15 in terms of market share of air yards across the whole league I think about 32 percent of the Jaguars air yards so I'm targeting the outside receivers if I'm playing um, Jaguars receivers this week
0: all right so that'll be the wide receiver discussion at tight end Jared Cook I mean he is just he's a 25 point game waiting to happen and Mm -hmm. You know what the interesting thing about Jared Cook is, and he's 4,800 on, uh, on, what is that, a fan duel, 5,900 on DraftKings. The interesting thing about Jared Cook is he runs a lot of his routes out of the slot. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't see that very often with many tight ends, but it is something that the Raiders do with Jared Cook. And I have a feeling he's be pretty popular this week. Should he be popular this week? I think he should because there's no tight ends left in the league. Like the,
1: the, the pickings are getting very, very slim. So even though this matchup is, is tough on paper, the Chargers are, are top 10 in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. Jared Cook still projects as a top value on both sides according to 4 for 4 projections. He's one of five tight ends with a target share of at least 20%. He leads the Raiders in red zone targets, which is huge for tight ends because one touchdown could catapult any tight end to the top of scoring rankings. We, we have no tight ends seeing consistent volume right now besides um, besides Ertz, Kelsey. Gronk's not even seeing, seeing consistent volume. Uh, Cook's target share is high, but the Raiders have kind of been all over the place with who their leading receiver is from week to week. But we're, we're looking for those scoring opportunities from our tight ends, because of what I said, because it can help them jump in the rankings so fast. And the chargers have, uh, they've allowed the most fantasy points per attempt to opposing passers uh, among defenses on the main slate. They're the third worst overall. And then as a whole, they're the only team that's allowed every opponent to go over their implied point total. So if we're looking for a sneaky shootout, a a lot of people are probably going to write off the Raiders this one and just look for positive game script chargers. This could be a sneaky shootout because chargers, aren't as good on defense as we might have expected them to be that obviously has a little bit to do with injuries
0: and they're the only team in the league that has to play 16 road games now i'm with you uh <laughs> i'm with you on this game possibly being a shootout the only thing that i'd caution is donald penn is gone i think they're going to start mm-hmm. a couple of rookies on mm-hmm. the uh on the oakland side of the ball and then the chargers have some some banged up linemen too so both offensive linemen are are, are banged up a little bit but I'm with you, uh, Phillip Rivers. The Chargers' look, offense is looking great. Mike Williams is a guy that I wish we could pin down when he's going to have his big games. He's obviously he's obviously very talented, but and, and I saw one of the Chargers beat writers last week be like, "This is like Hunter Henry all over again." <laughs> it's like one they'll use him for one or two weeks. They'll have these monster games, and then the next couple of weeks he just goes away. They they, they don't go to him so. He he. Mike Williams, is the guy that's on my radar. I'm trying to figure out how how much exposure to get to him. And on the Raiders side, you're right. Nobody's talking about Marshawn Lynch either. I mean, Marshawn Lynch is consistently putting up 15, 17 points again uh, a game on FanDuel, and he has seen his his touch share go up pretty significantly over the past week.
1: Uh, uh, I tweeted out uh, a stat showing the most volatile. Uh, Running backs in terms of week-to-week touch share and his is the only one that's volatile because it's been going up steadily Uh, The only concern here obviously is game script as uh, I think it's five and a half point underdogs But he's seen the bulk of the raiders running back touches and if it is a shootout He's a very good affordable option.
0: All right, jimmy graham tight ends get back here 4700 on um is he 47 on on FanDuel that can't be right is on it on DK DK 61 yep. on FanDuel all right so he's got at least six targets in three straight games Aaron Rodgers since week one has been saying we need to get the guy the ball some more and there's some injuries for the Packers too so Jimmy Graham looking good in week number five if Geronimo, Geronimo Allison and Randall Cobb end up
1: being out which they both practice, we record this on Wednesday night they both both missed practice today uh Jimmy Graham is cash game viable? But he's just worth mentioning because, as I talked about, there just aren't a lot of reliable tight ends right now. And that's six targets per game in an offense that throws at the second second highest rate in the red zone, uh, with some injuries, he he's going to be a guy that you want to look to just from from the upside of this offense. And I'm if I can attach my
0: player pool to Aaron Rodgers, I'm always for that. Well, that almost brings up like. You know, your build this week, how much is it going to give you an advantage to pay up for Kelsey or Ertz then? You know, and you don't want to do that in cash games as much, but would you deviate from the plan a little bit? And I guess, you know, making cases for Cook and Graham, maybe you don't have to, but then you go way down, way down the list and Vance McDonald, 3.7 on DK, 4.6 K on FanDuel and Jesse James, the guy that comes at everybody. Oh, Jesse James, that's the tight end for the Steelers, but that's not what Ben Roethlisberger's thinking. Vance McDonald projects as a, a top five value uh on four for
1: four on both sides. The obvious concern is just the target share. He aint he's he's fourth on his own team in target share behind A B, Juju, and James Conner. Uh for the season, only around eight percent. The the obvious upside here is you are Getting a tight end in what's expected to be the highest scoring game of the week So if you're going to make the argument when Falcons are in a high-scoring game that Austin Hooper is viable because he's a pump play Then you have to follow that logic and say that Vance McDonald is viable because he's a pump play in a very high-scoring game Uh, there are options that are slightly cheaper, but as I always talk about, if you are going to punt positions, I think tight end and defense are the best spots to do it, and especially tight end because it's the most volatile week to week position. So, even though he's only at eight percent target share, a tight end that has opportunity to score a touchdown, that's a home favorite, that's usually a favorable spot for tight end. So you don't, you're not always going to be able to follow the target share at this position like you can at wide receiver. Uh I, I don't love it because I obviously think his floor is very low, uh, given those low targets from time to time. But you're getting exposure to the highest scoring game of the week.
0: Yep, no doubt about it. All right, so we move on to defense now. Uh interesting the Titans are the top uh are the top cost defense on DraftKings mm-hmm. at four thousand and then just thirty nine hundred on FanDuel, they're kind of toward the bottom, which was fascinating to me because the Titans look great. Josh Allen loves getting sacked. I mean, he's been sacked more than any other quarterback. What's he had two and a half games, three and a half games, three and a half games. I mean this, and the most predictive thing about defenses, you go after sacks. Well, I mean, this is lining up nice for the Titans. This is, this to me is a no brainer on FanDuel. Yeah. They are priced as the 13th defense on,
1: on FanDuel, I believe compared to the uh, number, number one defense on DraftKings. So, it's going to be tough to pay up that full $4,000 price tag. They're $700 more than any other defense this week on DraftKings, but you're getting a big discount on FanDuel. Uh, we saw in the FanDuel Sunday Million, the Packers were, were sub-7% ownership last week against the Bills, and I think that had a lot to do with what we saw from the Bills against the Vikings in Week 3, uh, but no one should have been fooled this is the worst offense in the league this is the worst offensive line in the league and that's going to lead to fantasy points so anytime you have a defense that's even a decent value you have to consider playing them and Tennessee is a great value they are top defensive value uh, on the main slate on Fanduel.
0: I hold your nose when I say this but San Francisco (laughs) oh geez San Francisco but they are playing the worst coach team in the NFL and there's something to be said for that That's a that's a
1: very fire take but given what, what we've seen uh, the Cardinals do with David Johnson I mean it's it's pretty hard to argue but Not just him.
0: Th- I mean throwing in Rosen in the last 2 oh, minutes of his That was crazy. First start? I mean that was crazy. And how do you not know how to utilize one of the best weapons in the NFL? Like my goodness. After 3 games he finally said, "Jesus, you know, we got to figure out how to use them in a the slot." And they still didn't figure out how to use them in a the slot. What a disaster. Arizona yeah, well, is
1: I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the desert, but uh, you got a CJ Bathard team that is favored by four and a half at home. So that kind of tells you all you need to know about what uh, Vegas thinks about the Cardinals. The Arizona's projected to uh, score fewer than 17 points. Anytime you can get a defense facing a rookie just period, but especially on the road, uh, you want to do it. We see, we saw it last week. Oakland isn't a defense that you're necessarily going to want to play against anybody, but we saw them put up a very big number because rookie quarterbacks have a propensity to turn over the ball. That's what Baker Mayfield did. All of the rookie quarterbacks that are starting right now have an interception rate around 3% or higher. 3% is like the like the, the top of what the worst quarterbacks usually end up at uh, at the end of the year. So that rookie on the road – I think targeting that alone makes it a viable strategy. And then obviously the four and a half point home favorite is just
0: an extra nod to that. All right. So there you go. That's our cash and GPP plays uh, this week on FanDuel and DraftKings and uh, fantasy football, ladies and gentlemen in full swing. Now we partnered up with DraftKings to bring you any of our four for four memberships for free. All you gotta do is go to four for for4.com backslash DraftKings and follow the instructions you get full access to our most accurate rankings. You get the lineup generator, optimal lineups, premium articles, all the other great features in our plan, including our GPP leverage scores, which we'll talk about in a moment. All for $5, which you can enter into contests and potentially win more. So super excited to bring you this deal. If you want access right away, go to DraftKings.com, or 444.com backslash DraftKings. All right, leverage scores and building a player portfolio. TJ, what is a leverage score?
1: Yeah, I want to talk about this this week because we've been getting uh, quite a few questions from from subscribers and from people that have subscribed. We opened up uh, some of the tools in week one, just people talking about leverage scores, asking me what they are and asking me about um, our ownership. So before I actually get into it, to leverage scores, kind of the the impetus to the reason I wanted to talk about this is I have, I every week I get quite a few questions um, about ownership. Uh, we we project ownership every week on four for four, and our goal is to have the most accurate ownership projections. And and because of that, they're often going to be quite conservative compared to, to what you might see on other sites but oftentimes it, it, the the ownerships tend to settle down in that conservative range and, and with those conservative ownership projections we can give you um, more accurate leverage scores uh, of what we what we think you you should be doing with these players in terms of your your player portfolio and and in short what a leverage score is is it's our suggested ratio of ownership relative to the expected ownership of that player. So if you take our implied ownership and divide it by the projected ownership, that tells you if you want to be overweight or underweight on a player. And overweight or underweight, that just means how much do we think this player is going to be owned say it's 15% if you want to be overweight on the on a player you own that player more than 15% in your personal portfolio so if you have uh, if you have 100 lineups your 16th lineup with that player is going to put you over overweight relative to the field and of course we we deal with ranges in terms of our ownership projections at 4 for 4 so if a player is projected Ten to fifteen percent. Then that fifteen percent is what we think the top of their ownership range is.
0: Uh, so you should keep that in mind when we're when we're looking at these leverage scores. All right. So there's a little primer for it. Now we know what a leverage score is. How do we mm-hmm. get an implied ownership? Is the big question. Yeah. So what
1: the implied ownership is on four for four is. Um, we we have our projected ownership, and that's what we think the public is going to to have ownership on a specific player. Uh, that's derived from large field um, main slate tournaments, which is why we keep our ownership projections to the main slate because it's a it, it's it's a machine learning projection, which I'll talk about more momentarily. But uh, the implied ownership is what we think the the ownership should be. So what we do is we we take a player's projected points, we take their salary, we take their pre- Uh, position uh, their floor and ceiling projections and then we use historical data uh, based on all of those data points and it calculates a a a number needed to hit tournament value and then that also gives us the odds of that player hitting tournament value Uh, when we compare all of that to the other players at the same position then based on the players odds of hitting tournament value it tells us how much uh, they should be owned relative to other
0: players at their position. All right, very good. So now we've gotten to that. Why does it work? So this is, I, I think, where what
1: the leverage score does and what our ownership does uh, separates from the field because this step, all you have to do is is go on some other, uh, you have to look at some other ownership projections, and they just don't add up. So, for example, if you're in a tournament, And you're looking at quarterbacks, no matter how high or how low specific quarterbacks are owned, there's only one quarterback on each roster. So overall, their ownership needs to add up to 100%. You can't have more than 100% ownership at a single position. It's impossible. So what we do is... We take our machine learning model, and we get a a sum that actually equates to the maximum possible ownership, and that eliminates human error in our ownership projections. And we account for that with the flex on both FanDuel and DraftKings. So our ownership projections at running back and at wide receiver. There's only two running backs, so ownership should add up to 200%, but we account for the possibility of the flex. Oftentimes, our overall ownership will approach something like 250%. Our overall ownership of our wide receivers will approach 350%. And By making sure that's accurate, that helps us get a, a very good and very predictive leverage score, which is ultimately what we want. We want to be able to quickly look at these leverage scores not have to think about as a user well, what's going into it we just want to know that the guidance is accurate and historically since we started using these leverage scores they have been very accurate at predicting which players are over should be overweight on the field and how they perform relative to their expectation
0: all right but if i disagree with it let's say antonio brown we got him listed as 20 mm-hmm. percent, but i only think he's yeah. gonna be about 10 percent of lineups then what do i do so this is the question
1: that I've been getting and this is really why I really wanted to address this because even if you don't agree with what our projection is the the accuracy in the projection is built primarily around John's projections Um, and then the ownership projections come secondary so because of that our implied ownership theoretically should be slightly more accurate than our um, ownership projections so if you think that um, a Travis Kelsey is going to be 15% owned we have him for 10% owned whatever is you you can take that 15% and divide it by the implied ownership so if you get your own leverage score, whether it be higher or lower, you can still use that to build out your portfolio. Uh, so you don't have to, to go by our ownership projections. If you don't want to, I suggest you do because um, they've, they've, they run through a machine. They, they, for the most part, eliminate human error. Uh, but if for whatever reason you don't agree, you can take those numbers, divide them by each other and you'll, you'll get your own leverage score.
0: All right. So it's pretty simple. Get your own leverage score. But, but, mm-hmm. If you're using, just because you're using leverage scores doesn't mean you're going mm-hmm. to use them. Right. So yeah. how do you, what's the worst way possible that you could try and use this?
1: What I I've, I've noticed some users doing that haven't went through and, and taken the time to understand what these numbers mean. And I, I think that's very important. We have an article called balancing value with ownership in DFS that explains the GPP leverage scores in our strategy hub. Um, and, the the danger is going onto the leverage score page, looking for the players with the highest leverage scores, and thinking that those are the best tournament values. But uh, the highest leverage score doesn't mean the best play. So, for example, a lot of times you'll see a a a quarterback or a defense with a uh, with a very high leverage score, but that's just because they have a scoring projection. So, just the fact that a, a quarterback is usually going to be projected for, I. Uh, 10 points as, as um, a minimum, the lowest scoring quarterback. So if we have a, a, a player that's projected for virtually no ownership, the implied ownerships on them is is going to be, may say, 3%, which is almost nothing. But if we have them projected for 0.5%, then they have a, a leverage score of 6 or 7. So instead of doing that, I, I think what people should do with the leverage score is first build out their player pool and and figure out which players they like for their tournaments and then go through the leverage scores and see where those players rank within leverage scores. See which players that you like that four for four suggests you should be overweight on and then which players you like that you might want to be overweight on. And then you can look at the leverage scores and look for for viable players that pop in leverage scores. So, for example, um, a Taylor Gabriel last week, he was very high in the leverage scores, but he was also coming off an 11-target game. He wasn't a player that had a high leverage score just because his ownership was at 0.5, even though it's at 3. If you have a leverage score of 3 or 4 with an ownership projection of, of 3%, 5%, or 7%, then all of a sudden that's something that should pop to you, not just the players that are projected for basically no ownership.
0: All right, and there are some players you just roll down. Let's see here. This week, uh, Taywan Taylor's uh, mm-hmm. Fanduel leverage score is almost eight. Yeah. But again, it goes back to the point five percent ownership. So you have to think if he's a hey, is he in your is he in your player pool. And then you got guys that we were talking about earlier tonight, like Marshawn Lynch, seven mm-hmm. and a half percent ownership. He's got a one point four two Fanduel leverage score, but that looks like somebody since he's already on the list. Bam, he pops, and that's how I can use it. Yeah,
1: and and actually the, the Taiwan Taylor is a really good example because uh, another way that you can you can think about leverage or players that you should be overweight on, and, and this really just goes for, for any suggestion. Um, even if you don't use 4 for 4 in our leverage scores, if you have a, a lot of information that you're taking in and you hear that you should be overweight on a player, especially at wide receivers, think about Taiwan Taylor. If you scroll down and then you see two or three pass catchers in that offense that you should be overweight on, maybe that's not telling you to focus in on Taiwan Taylor, but telling you to focus in on the pass game. So even though someone say like Corey Davis might have whatever 10 to 15% ownership, if you see all of these players that are pass catchers on the Titans with positive leverage scores or that you're hearing you should be overweight on, maybe you transfer some of that uh, expectation in terms of being overweight
0: on that player and put it on the player you like be it Corey Davis in this example. All right, so very good. And then, anything else you want to bring up about this? Since you're getting so many questions about it.
1: Yeah i I think a lot of new DFS players or or relatively novice DFS players um, really fudge on what it means to be overweight or underweight on a player, and and oftentimes people will use very absolute terms when we're talking about this and i i think that's why it uh it, it might confuse a lot of players you'll you'll hear industry vernacular talking about fading a player or being all in on a player it's it's almost never the case that a dfs player an experienced dfs player that is running out 150 lineups per tournament even if they say they're all in on a player, they don't have that player in 100% of lineups. I can almost guarantee you that what that means is what we talked about before. They're looking at however they come up with their ownership projections, figuring out how much they think each player will be owned in their player portfolio, and then weighting those player shares accordingly. So if you want to be overweight and a player's expected to be 15% owned, uh, maybe have him in 20% of your lineups. If you want to fade a player but he's a very popular play um, let's use Ezekiel Elliott for example he he was the driver of a lot of winning lineups last week but if you like Saquon Barkley over him that doesn't mean you should completely fade Zeke if he's going to be on 12% maybe you only have him in 5% of your lineups but you're still giving yourself those outs you, it's, it's like poker you don't want to be leaving yourself no outs uh, and something that you can do to to help practice and learn this technique is on DraftKings you can download the CSV of any tournament you play in and you get access to every lineup that was in that tournament and I talk about this each week in TJ's takes when I'm reviewing uh, the the winning lineups from the tournaments don't just look at the winning lineup go download the entire CSV and look at how that winning player constructed their entire team so the winning Lineup on DraftKings last week had Taylor Gabriel, and I think Taylor Gabriel was sub 2% owned. So, somebody that isn't going through this process or isn't thinking in terms of player portfolios thinks that that's just a luck box score. How would you ever get Taylor Gabriel? But the player that won, he had 49 lineups entered into The Millionaire. He, I think, 20% of his lineups were Mitch Trubisky, and I want to say four or five of his lineups included uh, Taylor Gabriel. So he only had Taylor Gabriel in in seven to 10% of his lineups, but because Taylor Gabriel was sub 2% owned, he was way overweight on the field, but he wasn't going all in on a very high volatile position. But when that player hit, he has him spread out enough in his portfolio to give him a chance to win a million dollars, to beat 250,000 people. Uh, So, I think that's where people mess up a lot. They 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 see these one percent uh, owned players, and they think that if you land on a Taylor Gabriel, then you need to have them in all of your lineups because you the the, the term you, I hear a lot is cover all your bases, but that's not how you do it. The way to do it is to uh, intelligently figure out a way to. To, to project this ownership and figure out how you're going to leverage the field. That's why we call it the leverage score. We're looking at ways to leverage the field and ownership in tournaments is the best way to do that. We're, we're foregoing value often in tournaments, but we're, we're
0: looking for our owner uh, for value in terms of that ownership. And that's what we hope to do with those scores. You know, we've got a couple minutes left here and I told you, I wanted to talk about something else. And since we're on the the whole tournament discussion, just really briefly, because we could probably spend a lot of time on it, but in the single entry tournaments, there's a, I mean, there's, yeah. there's a different uh, strategy to building your single entry tournament lineups as opposed to your multi entries. I mean, there's probably a different Absolutely. one in your book from a from a single entry and a and a massive GPP to a 20 entry tournament. I mean, yep. a, at that point, so for those of us, and I enjoy the single tournament lineups. I remember there's one guy, and I actually think this guy goes out and gives advice, bad advice, so that he can uh, <laughs> clean up and. In tournaments, I'm not even kidding, but he, he said, Hey, listen, I hope you uh, get in a single entry tournament with me, man. That's you know, you're gonna get crushed in a single entry tournament. You, you know, you're gonna want to try and do the multi entry tournament, just put one or two in a multi entry tournament. And I'm saying, This is this cannot be this is horrible advice. What are you doing here? So, my question to you when we get to the single entry tournament, are you using a lot of your cash game lineup? and then maybe making a tweak here or there to adjust for ownership. What's your strategy when you're going into a single entry tournament? Well, I want to address what that guy told you because
1: this is just simple counting and math and economics. If if you can only afford to play one or two entries in a contest, then just from a from a, few, a pure chance perspective, it makes way more sense for you to play a limited entry contest. Why would you Take one or two lineups against a field of players that can afford to have 150 lineups. That's like you're basically playing a lotto. And not only do players get slightly more uh, lotto tickets from a skill perspective, but they're actually getting a actual number uh, higher. They're they're getting more lottery tickets. Why would you do that to yourself if the the Especially if you don't consider yourself one of the best players in the world, what you want to do is put yourself on an even playing field as possible. So uh, what that means is the same number of entries, the highest number of of, uh, of people being paid out, the biggest way to multiply your money if you min cash, looking for the lowest rake, all those things are getting you that much closer to the field. So that's horrible advice, whoever said that. But <laughs> that's <laughs> I mean, why he can... You can hit me up on twitter at t j Hernandez if he wants to talk about it um, but from a from a single entry from a single entry um, standpoint I, I I don't think th- this is this is why there's an advantage and this is why we we should be thinking about it um, very deeply because some people might just think about what I only have one bullet how should I be approaching this that's the wrong way to think about it you have to think about what is the size of the field and what stakes is in my plan. So the higher you move move up in stakes, the more price sensitive uh, players are going to be just because they're, they're better DFS players. They understand value. And because of that price sensitivity uh, you can, you can be slightly uh, more contrarian against those, those very, um, those very good players. If you're playing in a, a larger field, that's also lower stakes Uh, then you can slant a little bit more towards value because these lower stakes players aren't going to be as price sensitive, a.k.a. they're going to recognize value less than you should. So probably the sweet spot is a relatively small field at relatively small stakes because you can play a variation of cash game lineups and have a very good chance to... um, to do very well in that tournament. Now the trick I think with the single entry tournament is finding the sweet spot and what I have found, and, and this is anecdotal, this isn't data driven. So, so take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but uh, somewhere around that 100 man mark is where I start veering away from my cash lineup. So in other words, if there's a $500 tournament and it's only a hundred players, I, uh, I'm very comfortable putting my cash lineup in, even if I see it's a lineup of the top 50 players in the world. And now I I know there are a lot of people that might not agree with that, but at least in my database, my results have shown that that is a positive approach. Now, when it gets closer to 200 and definitely beyond, you want to start adding some kind of differentiator. So um, I, I'm, I'm going to sidestep the question a little bit, by answering this with a three max question, but I think you could think about it the same way if you 're playing multiple single entries so if if i 'm in a three max tournament oftentimes what i 'll do is i'll i'll take my player course so my my most obvious running backs most obvious receivers be it maybe that's only uh, seven to ten players that i'm rotating between those three lineups and then find three unique stacks that I want to use or three of my favorite stacks uh, because I think it's going to be easier to Stay on that player core and hope that hits and then whatever one of those stacks hits that's going to shoot you up the leaderboard then to find one stack and try to hit on all those individual plays if that makes sense so if you want to zoom that to a smaller level um, on a single entry tournament if it's a a relatively small field maybe under a thousand people that is going to be closer to a, a slight variation on my uh, cash game lineup and i just might look for some correlation plays so i might be uh, more willing to say this week stack roethlisberger with antonio brown if i was going for the higher floor in my cash lineup
0: very good thank you sir appreciate that i want to thank tj for actually staying focused as his favorite baseball team is uh playing right now. You're the only Oakland A's fan that I know as we tape this year on what is it Wednesday night. So, good luck to you. Hope they come back.
1: Thanks. There 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 aren't a lot of us that uh stick through through the tough years, but as we're recording, it's 2 nothing Yankees. 3 nothing. Uh, You're on 3 the Yankees. Yeah. Um so <laughs> Hopefully, by the time this gets released tomorrow, I'll be booking a ticket up to Oakland uh, for a game against the Red Sox. That would be
0: good. If not, maybe we'll just have a ton of success this weekend and everything will be better that way. Um, I'll take that. So, again, want to remind everybody, if you sign up right now, uh, make sure you use our promo DFS MVP for 25% off, and you already get a great rate. What are we down to? What, $79? $79 without
1: a discount. So add that 25% on, you're getting a great
0: deal. Absolutely. And then tell them about the Rate and Review T-shirt giveaway one more time. Make sure you go on iTunes, go to
1: DFS MVP, leave us a five-star rating, and leave us a nice review, and you'll automatically be entered into a drawing to win a free 4-for-4 t-shirt of your choice, Uh, the most comfortable, softest, stylish t-shirts in the game. Uh, And uh, if if you like what you hear... Give me a follow on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Make sure you follow my co-host, Holden Kushner, at Holden Radio. And we will talk to you it's
0: next crazy. week. I'm on the right track. I'm finally found. You need some soul searching. The time is now. All I need is one mic. one mic, yeah, yeah, yeah. All I need is one mic. one That's all I ever needed in this world. Cash. All I need is one mic. Cars. The jewelry. All I need is one mic.